you each for coming tonight, for being here. Hopefully you can be encouraged from the topic of discussion this evening. And I hope I'm not the only one talking this evening. So just in case you have a shy butterfly, whatever you call that, you can just let them fly away and feel free to volunteer to read passages that I might have for you to read or questions or thoughts or anything. So um, feel free to share in that way. Before we start, uh, why don't we have a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide our discussion this evening. Pray that we could learn uh, more about you, and we acknowledge you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for each gift, whether it is a gift that you've given to us or to someone else. Uh, thank you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as was mentioned, thank you all for that introduction. Um, gifts of the Holy Spirit not fruit of the Spirit that might be an easier topic but they're going to talk about that at our Bible school next week so I guess we'll have to I'll have to wait to hear about that till then but anyways there's a lot could be said on the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, it seems like spiritual gifts are sometimes synonymous with gifts of the Holy Spirit and so that's something you can think about. I don't necessarily have an answer for you this evening, but are the gifts of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts the same thing? Something to think about. Uh, if you would, turn to Acts 2 for our opening passage. And while you're turning there, a um, little quote that might... Uh, give you a little inspiration as you think about gifts it says here what you are is God's gift to you what you become is your gift to God that's short and sweet so let me just read it again what you are is God's gift to you what you become is your gift to God it's just a bit of a perspective as we think about gifts and what we do with them um, I like I like outlines so I'll give you a little bit of an outline for my topic this evening um, at the beginning here I'll have a few introductory thoughts to kind of lay a foundation and then we'll look at three different lists that I found for um, lists of either gifts of the Holy Spirit and or spiritual gifts and all of those are in the New Testament. Um, we'll dig into the third list a bit more. Uh, that one's in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the longest list. Uh, there's nine gifts mentioned in that list. And then maybe the most important section, so what? How does this fit into, our, into my life? How does this fit into our church? That'll be toward the end. And part of that, I have a spiritual gift test 
So just curious, how many people have pen and paper? Um, if you want to take part of that test and you don't have pen and paper, um, feel free to go and get some. Um, I don't have pen and paper for everybody, but I do have some questions that I'll ask and you can write down the answers. It's not a right or wrong sort of thing. So if you, you're not gonna get graded and fail or pass or whatever on the test, it's not that kind of test. It's more or less designed to uh, see what your gift might be. Um, and I believe that test is based on the list of gifts in Romans 12. So we're not gonna be testing you to see if you have the gift of healing or speaking in tongues or anything like that. Um, but yeah, you can take that if you like. I'll just read the questions and then you can write down uh, how you like on that and nobody else needs to necessarily know what your answers are. That's kind of up to you. So anyways, if you are at Acts 2, uh, let's look at Acts 2.38. And the first point I have here, kind of introduction, is that the Holy Spirit is a gift. And I kind of alluded to that before, but this is kind of backing up from the thing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit itself is a gift, is it not? So if you think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like a gifts within a gift. Maybe you had a gift already where you opened the wrapper and then there was something packaged up inside of that and then you had to open it again. So the, whole, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are kind of like a gift within a gift. Um, verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, second point is the gift of the Holy Spirit cannot be purchased. And that's kind of maybe a given if you think of a gift. You can't, if, if you can pay for it, then it's not a gift, I guess, right? But uh, Simon, in Acts 8, uh, you don't have to turn to this one, but he, he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, and he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. So this, the gift of the Holy Spirit cannot be purchased. And I would think it's safe to say that even if you would want to purchase it, you couldn't. That's something that is uh, God can give as he, as he sees fit. The third point is uh, spiritual encouragement is considered a spiritual gift. And this is kind of maybe a little bit more of a, not quite so black and white as the first two. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 1. Um, I think I have this reference, right? I might not. Anyways, uh, verse 11 and 12. And this, I'll read this in the ESV. It says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, 
that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he's saying that it's a, a spiritual gift when we encourage each other. That was kind of a new thought for me. Um, spiritual encouragement is considered a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are a result of the grace of God. Uh, this one is in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 7. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Spiritual gifts are a result of the grace of God. And then the last point here at the beginning introduction is that spiritual gifts should be exercised. And there's a few action words I want to pull out here in the next few passages. First Peter 4. If you did Bible quizzing, some of you may have memorized this. I did. Uh, it says in verse 10, 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So that word minister is the action word. As each of you has received the gift, minister to one another. All right, First uh, Timothy 4, verse 14, neglect not. That's the action part there. Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. 2 Timothy 1, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, this is even by the most action of all so far maybe, that thou stir up the gift of God. Not quite sure exactly what that looks like. But uh, it says to stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, the Holy Spirit is a gift. The gifts of the Holy Spirit can't be purchased. And the gift of the Holy Spirit itself can't either. Spiritual encouragement is considered a gift. Spiritual gifts are a result of the grace of God. And we should exercise the gifts. Minister, neglect not, stir up some of the action words that we, that I, um, those are the, the ones I mentioned. So, hopefully I can lay a bit of a foundation as we think about the gifts, as we look at some of these lists now. Um, could I have a volunteer to read Romans 12, verse 6 to 8? This is the first list of gifts. Romans 12, 6 to 8.
there's a few gifts, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, and mercy. Seven, if I counted right. Um, how about someone else read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So it says he gave, right? He gave some of these different, that's a gift, right? Giving is a gift. When, when you get something, that's a gift. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, very good. So now if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 12, this is the main passage that we'll focus in on here. Um, And I'm not quite sure how much time I should spend on this. I want to leave enough time for the for the test towards the end. But there is some some good stuff in here that we want to touch on. So um, why don't we just read? I'll read um, the first eleven verses. First Corinthians twelve one to eleven. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, to another dis diverse kinds of tongues and to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. All right, could keep going. There's a lot of other good stuff in there, but um, as we think about these verses and these gifts, um, I'll try to give some contrast. I don't, I don't have a lot of deep, profound kind of thoughts, I guess. Um, some of the stuff I pulled from commentaries, um, some of it, it will be more just like reading a verse here and then reading another verse and then you can see the contrast between the two verses. Um, and I'm sure there's other people here to have more knowledge in this subject than I do, so hopefully uh, we can all learn 
more together. But if there's something that you hear that I said that wasn't quite right, or if you have a question about something, um, comment, feel free to bring it up. I do hope to have some time at the end for questions and discussion, and I won't guarantee to be able to answer every question. So just a little disclaimer there. But um, let's dig into the first one here. Uh, so in verse eight, it says, for to one is given by the spirit, the word of wisdom. Okay, the word of wisdom, what's that? Well, John Gill, I don't know who he is exactly, but he's someone who, um, one of the commentaries I was looking at, he explains it this way, and it's not his exact words, I kind of summarized it. But he says that it is a gift of declaring, opening, and explaining unto others salvation, together with all other deep, mysterious, and sublime doctrines of the gospel. That's kind of a wordy sort of definition, but basically explaining the Bible is the gift of wisdom, of the word of wisdom, I should say. Uh, so here's two, two verses to kind of contrast thought of wisdom, and you can take this for what it's worth and as it relates to, um, not, not exactly sure that these directly relate to the gift of the spirit, the gift of the word of wisdom, but I um, thought it would be helpful to mention at least. Um, the first one is more in a, a worldly wisdom sort of um, from that angle. It says uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So he says, not many wise men after the flesh. Uh, I don't think that's talking about the wisdom and the, the gift of the word of wisdom. That's, that's talking about more like worldly wisdom, it seems like to me. But then here in um, 1 Corinthians 6, he kind of has another different angle that comes at this wisdom thing about. He says, if ye then have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is there, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. And so this is kind of the flip side of, you know, well, we don't want to assume that we have the word of wisdom because, well, maybe we don't actually, and we shouldn't put on something that we're not, maybe. But here he's saying the least esteemed in the church is who should be the judge and kind of chiding them a little bit for not having somebody wise enough in church. Uh, this one is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 27. 1 Corinthians 1, yes, yep. No, sorry, that was uh, the first one. 6, yeah, 1 Corinthians 6, yep. 4 and 5. 4 and 5, sorry. Yep, jumping around in my notes here, that's not a good idea, maybe. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting contrast. The worldly wisdom, God doesn't choose a lot of wise people 
according to worldly standards, but then Paul's kind of chiding them for not having somebody that's wise enough in the church to judge. So that was interesting, for whatever that's worth. Any thoughts or questions on that, on that gift, the word of wisdom? So explaining, declaring, opening, and explaining unto others salvation together with all other deep, mysterious, and sublime doctrines of the Bible, of the gospel. That's what the commentator said. Uh, so for whatever that's worth, that's kind of a summary definition, you could say. Uh, the next one it says here in verse 8 also is the word of knowledge. Now that sounds pretty similar to the word of wisdom. And I'm not exactly sure what the difference is, but uh, John Wesley commented on the gift of the word of knowledge this way. He said, perhaps an extraordinary ability to understand and explain the Old Testament types and prophecies. So I don't know, but it doesn't seem a whole lot different than the first one, but... Um, that was just his attempt, I guess, at explaining it. Um, here again, I'd like to contrast, do a little bit of a contrast with the worldly side and the um, spiritual. So let's do the uh, let's do the spiritual side first. So Romans fifteen fourteen, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge there's that word knowledge able also to admonish one another so he's saying you guys you guys can do this you're able to admonish one another um, filled with knowledge um, I don't know if he's saying you have this gift of the word of knowledge but he's he's having some confidence in him at least uh, that was Romans 15, 14. And then um, in 1 Timothy 6, we see some uh, other kind of a contrast again with the spiritual knowledge. It says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. You didn't hear the word knowledge, did you? I didn't, don't think I read it, but the word science in there is the same Greek word. So it says, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science. That's that same word as knowledge. Um, it doesn't say to avoid science completely, but it says to um, the oppositions of science falsely so-called. Okay? And then another verse here, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Of 
avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called, and they have it in quotes, uh, knowledge. What is falsely called knowledge. Um, so that's a contrast with um, the true knowledge, I suppose, and what we would have if someone has the gift of the word of knowledge. The next one is faith, uh, the gift of faith. How many people here, well, I won't ask for a raise of hands, how many of you think you have the gift of faith? Maybe some of you think you don't have the gift of faith. Um, sometimes it's easier to have faith than others, right? But uh, this here, one of the commentaries said, this is not saving faith in general, which is the common endowment of all Christians, but wonder-working faith. So that was his perspective. Um, John Wesley said, faith may here mean an extraordinary trust in God under the most difficult or dangerous circumstances. And you've probably heard of the uh, story of the centurion who came to Jesus and wanted his servant to be healed. And he said, you don't even need to come to my house. I'm paraphrasing it, um, summarizing it in my own words, but you don't even need to come to my house. You can, you can heal him from where you are now. Um, I'm a man under authority. I have, I can tell this person, go here, and he does it, and come, he comes, and so on. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Another verse that I found uh, relating to faith is the story of the, I don't know exactly the best word for it, maybe the persistent widow. Um, you're probably familiar with that story. And um, she kept coming to this unjust judge over and over again. And um, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So there's that word faith. And it wasn't necessarily emphasizing, I guess it was somewhat, that the widow had faith. But kind of Jesus' ending point was, is there going to be faith when I come back? Um, so that, I thought it was interesting. All right. Healing is the next one. So this one is an interesting one, actually. I, I think... Uh, I don't know how many here do we have who work in the medical field whether it be nurses doctors something related to that anybody I'm not one but anybody here okay all right that's all right but I thought it was interesting um, the gift of healing doesn't necessarily need to be confined to like how Jesus healed when he said you know, be healed or touch them when they were healed or whatever. Um, John Wesley, again here, um, interesting thought from him. It says, the gift of healing need not be wholly confined to the healing diseases with a word or a touch. It may exert itself also, though in a lower degree, where natural remedies are applied. And it may often be this, 
not superior skill, which makes some positions more successful than others. Wow. Did you catch that? That was interesting. Maybe the reason some doctors are more successful is because they're dependent on God. Do you think that is a pretty good possibility? And maybe they have the gift. What's that? Possibly, yeah. I didn't think of that. That's a good, that's a good thought. The anointing of oil may be related here. So, and may, maybe that is how it is with other gifts too. Um, but I think it's interesting to notice that the gift, that the Greek word here for healing is only found three times in the Bible. And all three of those are in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. So, for whatever that's worth, maybe if that piques your interest, you can study into that sometime. Oh, the, the Greek word for healing in uh, this passage here is found three times in the Bible. And those three times are, are in this chapter. So it's, it's just in this chapter that that word is used. Not that there's no other... The word for healing is used other places, I'm sure, but it's not the same Greek word, if that makes sense. All right, would someone read for us again uh, verse, verse 10? First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 10. Okay, very good. So like I said, I don't have a lot of deep and profound stuff and hopefully there's other people here that have more knowledge on this and feel free to speak up if you have any thoughts. But uh, this working of miracles. So here's an example. Then Peter said, silver and gold I have, have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. How many of you believe that that actually happened? Exactly, right? So, maybe Peter had the gift of working of miracles. But if it's a gift of the Spirit, we should be able to do it today, right? Is that, what do you think about that? Well, I'm not going to say that you can't do it today because that would seem to be going against the Bible. But again, remember these are gifts. And gifts are things that are given to us. I think it's entirely possible for God to give someone the gift of being able to work miracles. He may give it for a longer period of time, or maybe it would just be for a certain specific situation. Kind of like um, Esther, for such a time as this. Um, so again, it's not ruling out the possibility that someone today couldn't have this gift of working miracles, but remember it's a gift. And so God is the one who can decide who gets it. They do, yes. That's right. And uh, tuck that away. If you have examples of miracles, feel free to... Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
of you read the story of, um, what's the book called? What? Gardell, yes. Forget the name of the book, though. It's uh, Miracle Boy, yes. How many have read that? I haven't read it, but I've heard various portions of it quoted from my three-year-old. She likes to have stories read to her, and then she kind of memorizes them and quotes them. So you hear portions of them. Feel free to think of other uh, miracles that you may have heard of or experienced. Prophecy is the next one. The Greek word here has the idea of prediction. Um, it seems like maybe there's two different meanings potentially here. One is, is the, um, either foretelling of future events um, and maybe potentially, um, I guess, more or less just, maybe more, more or less preaching can be a, maybe a form of prophecy. Uh, not, not necessarily always predicting the future. Um, at least it kind of seems that way. Um, so, some verses to think about relating to prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. That was Acts 15. Uh, I think that was after what they called the Jerusalem Council. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Wow. You can have prophecy, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Maybe some of us don't like to hear what the prophets might have to say. Um, but First Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise not prophesyings. Um, interesting thought. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might, mightest war a good warfare. And here's this neglect, the action word from the beginning again. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. So it, this gift was actually given to Timothy through prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the Presbytery. At least prophecy was a part of the process. It wasn't the only thing God gave the gift, but maybe prophecy had a part in the process. And then knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's from Second uh, Peter. So, some thoughts on prophecy. Um, and I think we'll run across prophet, the gift of prophecy in our 
spiritual gift test a little later on, so maybe we'll leave that for now. Um, moving on to the next one, discerning of spirits. And this could, this could possibly be the ability to discern, at least in part, if someone's heart is right or not. And it could also or, and or uh, be discerning a false prophet from a true prophet. So um, think of Ananias and Sapphira. So Ananias comes before, I believe it was Peter, and not too long and he's dead. And Sapphira comes kind of the same thing. How did Peter know what was going on? Maybe he had the gift of discerning of spirits. Uh, another example, a potential example, um, is Simon the sorcerer. And it seems here like, like Philip maybe didn't have the gift of discerning of spirits, but Peter did. Uh, see if you can catch on to that. I'll just read a passage here. So, uh, let's see. Acts 9, 8. Sorry, Acts 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he bewitched them with their with sorceries but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women then Simon himself believed also and when he was baptized he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. So I don't know if Philip knew what was in Simon's heart or not, but it doesn't seem that he was confronted with this until Peter came along and when he actually asked like offering them money so maybe if he would have offered Philip money Philip would have done the same thing as Peter I don't know but it's possible that maybe Philip didn't have this gift and Peter did um, we're probably all familiar with the verses in 1 John 4 uh, verses 1 and 2 Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So, maybe, maybe we all have the gift of discerning of spirits to a more lesser degree, possibly, in that way. Okay. I'm going to put the last two together. They're kind of similar, linked, sort of. Um, diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, there's a good bit here I don't understand. So, um, but the Greek word is of uncertain affinity. It says here, uh, the tongue, by implication, a language, specifically one naturally unacquired. So it seemed to me that speaking in tongues is referring to another language, not some unintelligible babble that is not any language on earth. And maybe there's other opinions out there. Maybe some of you think that think differently on that, and that's not necessarily wrong. Um, so maybe we'll have time to discuss that at some point. I don't think I'm going to go and read all of 1 Corinthians 14, but there is quite a bit here uh, talking about speaking in tongues versus prophesying, uh, kind of contrasting those two. So I just want to read uh, two verses in chapter 14. Um, let's see here. Verses 26 to 28. This is kind of, a, I guess, a summary of if you're going to speak in tongues, here's the rules kind of thing. Um, verse 26, chapter 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So that's pretty simple, at least from that perspective. Um, if you're gonna speak in tongues in church, either you need to be able to interpret yourself, or you need to have somebody else that can interpret for you. Um, now a question for maybe those of you who are a little more musically minded here tonight. What about if a choir comes and sings a song in another language? Is that speaking in tongues? How many people think that would maybe be speaking in tongues? Or singing in tongues maybe? Okay, well maybe they don't have the gift of speaking in tongues but they're certainly speaking in tongues, as it were. Um, this, is, this is my personal opinion. I don't, I guess other people have, yeah, different opinions possibly, but I think it's good to have, if you are gonna have a choir that's singing a song in another language, to either have a translation in the bulletin or to have somebody get up and say, this is what the next song we're gonna sing, this is what it means. And some of the songs have both translations in the, the lyrics as well. So you hear it one time, 
in the one language and hear it the next time in the other language and you can catch on to what, what it means. So anyways, whatever that's worth, that's my personal opinion. Uh, I think it's good to have translation somewhere along the line. Um, any thoughts on this whole thing of tongues? Yes. Fourteen verse two. Okay. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Okay. Very good. Don't quite understand that, but that's alright, I guess. Right, right. Uh huh. Right, and so that can be edifying to us if we understand it. Right? Is that what he's saying? But if I just hear so and so off in church saying something I don't understand, maybe he's saying praise the Lord or something like that. But if I don't know that's what he's saying, then it's not very edifying, is it? Hallelujah is the same in every language? Okay. Is that right? I'm not sure. It might be, yeah. Uh, Very good. Any other thoughts? someone explained it in this way uh, potentially that maybe some of these more uncommon gifts as it were maybe they're more used in places where the gospel is like on the the pioneer fronts of the gospel kind of that makes sense so where Christianity is already established they don't need that as much anymore, maybe. But here in Acts, well, I won't read some verses um, about Pentecost, but that was kind of the, the new church, and this was kind of special for them right at the start. And I think, I didn't actually look it up, but I, I think there are other places in the world now that experience some of these kinds of things. And maybe that's because it's more on the, they're kind of the newer church in that area, maybe. Um, that's not necessarily the Bible that I just said there, but 
sell idea at least. Sell for whatever it's worth. So Pentecost, they were, um, it says they were filled. This is Acts 2, kind of in the beginning of the chapter there. And it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And he gives a long list of different places where people spoke different languages, apparently. And then it says, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So that was pretty neat. Um, all these different people could hear the wonderful works of God in their language. Now, do you think, this is maybe a side note kind of thing, but do you think that they were speaking in that many languages all at once? Or were they speaking one thing and the different people heard it different ways? So if I'm speaking now, you're hearing it in English, right? But maybe this other person was hearing it in Spanish and this person was hearing it in Chinese and Dutch, yeah, that one too. So just, not, just a thought, I wonder if that's how it was because it would have a new thing, yeah. Yep. Because it would be a little bit odd to me at least if they were speaking in that many different languages all at once. That would sound a little bit confusing, I think, possibly. Another, another passage uh, that talks about speaking in tongues is Acts 19. And if I didn't say it before, I don't think I did, but this is not an exhaustive um, exposition or whatever you call it. So there's lots of other things that could be said about the subject, but... Um, Paul was here, uh, says that, uh, I'll just read the first six verses, and it came to pass, uh, Acts 19, 1, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Peter, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost. Um, wow. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Uh, I don't know how long this took, but it doesn't sound like it was a very long process, you know. We don't never heard of the Holy Ghost. Okay, here's what it's like. Get baptized, and all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. Um, so, a few thoughts, a few verses on the uh, gift of 
diverse kinds of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. So, how does this all apply today? What, where do we go from here? If you have a pen and paper, you can pull that out and we'll do our spiritual gift test here. And this is not straight from the Bible, so don't uh, take it as such. And don't think that you shouldn't try to grow in other areas just because you're not gifted in that area. And don't get too proud if you think you have a good gift that you're doing pretty good about. But anyways, just some questions to kind of maybe give you an idea of what your gift might be or maybe more than one. I don't know that we don't necessarily have just one. Um, I think all of us probably have at least parts of some of the gifts. Maybe our, maybe my primary gift is different than your primary gift, but I think there's some overlap. So I have seven unknown persons. Person number one, person number two, and so on. So I'll read the questions for person number one. If you want to make a little heading on your paper for person number one, I'll tell you at the end who the person number one and person number two are, so on. And for this, I'm just going to say uh, if you would write, let's do it this way. If you agree with the statement, put a one. If you don't agree with the statement, put a zero. And if you kind of in between, I guess you could do a half something like that. But kind of the idea is that when you're done, you add up and whichever one has the most, the sum of your, yeah, the highest sum of your different people is maybe your gift, potentially. Does that make sense? Hopefully that's not too confusing. We'll, uh, we'll, get, we'll get through it, I think. So person number one, is this you? All right, you want to make sure that statements are true and accurate. So if you think that is you, put a one. If not, put a zero. If maybe kind of in between, do, do a half, I guess. You want to make sure that statements are true and accurate. You desire to gain as much knowledge as you can. Desire to gain as much knowledge as you can. So for this, I wouldn't, don't agonize over it too long, just kind of your first feel that comes to you, just put it down. This is not an exact science necessarily. All right, the next question, you react to people who make unfounded statements. You react to people who make unfounded statements. You check the credentials of one who wants to teach you. You use your mind to check out an argument. You enjoy spending hours researching a subject. Don't raise your hand if you like that one. No, that's fine, you can if you want. You enjoy spending hours doing research on a subject. Um, I'm not sure. This is all under person number one still. 
Sorry. I should have explained that. There's a bunch on person number one here. Yes. There's like uh, maybe about 10 for each one. Okay. Yeah. You could do it. Um, do it you'll, I think we'll figure it out here. Um, I'll, I'll let you know when we switch to person number two, but we have a couple more yet here. You like to tell others as many facts as you can on a topic. Pay close attention to words and phrases. You tend to be silent on a matter until you check it out. Probably all of us know somebody that's like that. You like to study material in a systematic sequence. That's the last one on person number one. So if you want to Add up your numbers for person number one, make a total at the bottom. Person number one. Everybody got it? Okay, person number two. Try to keep moving here. You can visualize the final result of a major undertaking. You enjoy coordinating the efforts of many to reach a common goal. You can break down a large task into achievable goals. You are able to delegate assignments to others. You see people as resources that can be used to get a job done. You are willing to endure reaction in order to accomplish a task. You require loyalty in those who are under your supervision. You remove yourself from petty details to focus on the final goal. You can encourage your workers and inspire them to action. You move on to a new challenge once the job is finished. Am I going too fast? I'm watching the clock, so gotta keep moving here. Person number three. You see actions as either right or wrong. Right or wrong. You react strongly to people who are not what they appear to be. You can usually detect when something is not what it appears to be. You can quickly discern a person's character, or at least you think you can. You feel responsi a responsibility to correct those who do wrong. You separate yourself from those who refuse to repent of evil. You explain what is wrong with an item before you sell it. That's an interesting twist. You explain what is wrong with an item before you sell it. Maybe you've experienced somebody like that before who tries to tell you everything that's wrong with it before you buy it. You let people know how you feel about important issues. You enjoy people who are completely honest with you. You are quick to judge yourself when you fail. 
you are willing to do right, even if it means suffering alone for it. That's person number three. Person number four. You can sense when people have hurt feelings. React to those who are insensitive to others' feelings. You are able to discern genuine love. You desire deep friendships in which there is mutual commitment. You seem to attract people who tell you their problems. You find it difficult to be firm or decisive with people. You tend to take up offenses for those whom you love. You need quality time to explain how you feel. You want to remove those who cause hurts to others. And you often wonder why God allows people to suffer. All right. There are three more. Um, why don't I tell you the ones that we did so far and then maybe you'll, you can ask me afterward about the other questions if you want maybe alright so person number one is a teacher person number two is an organizer I think this, is, this list is from kind of based on Romans 12 the list there in Romans 12 of the gifts number three is a prophet and number four is the gift of mercy. And there's a few more. The exhorter is the fifth person, the server, and the giver. And there's a bunch more, probably about 30 more questions for those. So I don't think we'll go through all of them. Uh, but if you want to see the list of questions, um, you can take a look at that afterwards. Number six is... Serving, serving, the, the uh, giver. So, thank you for your thoughts, your discussion. Anybody have one quick miracle that they want to share about? I know we had talked about the miracles before. Anyone that thought of one they had? In conclusion. What you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift to God. And then remember the acronym TEAM. Together, everyone achieves more. And may our gifts be used to edify the body of Christ. Thank you for your thoughts and for your attention.